Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, it's episode 174. Today's July 23rd, 2020, and this is Human Factors Cast. We are back from our summer break. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I am joined today by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. What's up, everybody? Hey, man. It's been it's been a couple weeks. It has, and yeah. We took a little hiatus. We did. We're nice and well-rested. Uh, we got an excellent news story to talk about. Uh, we're going to be taking some questions from Reddit as well, uh, as per usual. Um, the story this week uh, is one that I'm pretty jazzed about. Did you see this, Blake? The... the Doll researchers creating an app that monitors uh, mental health by measuring users' emotions. I, I really like this story. Um, it's massively and, exciting. Like, just uh, it'll be so fun to talk about. It's pretty cool. Uh, but first, hey, we got some programming notes here. Um, we have a new merchandise store. Yes, we do, Nick. Yeah, so um, we, we got a new merch store. Uh, it's through Spreadshirt. I think we used to have it through another uh, supplier. Um, but the, the other supplier was a little bit restrictive in the way that you can, you know, upload designs and, uh, we didn't really push it all that much, but we do want to push this now because we, we feel like, uh, the merch is, uh, of quality with this new supplier. I, I ordered myself, um, a human factor shirt that with our little, uh, explodey logo that you can see on the, um, on the, the little podcast, uh, design, the, our logo, Human Factors Cast logo, except for no words. And I got the little ring of triangles, and it, it looks like an Iron Man shirt. It looks like uh, the arc reactor from Iron Man. Yes. I just had to have it. It's so pretty been, sweet looking. Yeah, we've been focusing on uh, on making designs that we thought we'd want. Um, there's a baseball cap that has our little brain from the video uh, format. Uh, that we're both both wanting, but it's out of stock right now. Um, I'm telling so, you, as soon as that thing comes back in stock, I'm going to get one because it looks really sick. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, so with this merch store, um, we are uh, we we have more power in our hands, I think, and we're going to give back to our patrons a little bit more. So, everyone at the ten dollar level right now, um, we will be reaching out to you, and you will get a free. Human Factors Cast tote bag. So, and and going forward in the future, that will be included in the ten dollar reward. So, anyone that joins at the ten dollar reward, uh, will get your name and address from you, and and uh, we'll send you a, a free Human Factors Cast tote bag. Um, so so that's very exciting. I'm I'm pretty excited about all this. It's uh, you know, that's that's what we call synergy when you can get get uh, what is it uh, merchandise from one supplier and go to another supplier patreon uh and and you know kind of say hey we, we want to take this thing from that thing it's it's synergy it Human is factors cast synergy um so yeah if you if you want it's uh it's through spreadshirt we put a link in the description below you can find it there uh take a look you can help support the show and look good doing so uh we really appreciate that uh, we do have Human Factors Minute as well, but you know all about that. So we're going to go ahead and get into the banter section. Blake, it's been a couple of weeks. What's been going on with you, buddy? Man, it's been a fun couple of weeks, that's for sure. Um, this this like concept of gatekeeping has been interesting and really hanging around Ooh. my mind recently. Um, and it's uh, it's mainly because there there was a time and place where like in... in Things that I was interested in, like music production or making beats or even like learning, you know, riffs on guitar 
that where people would be really guarded about like sharing information with you about like how how you write songs or how you come up with you know material to start a beat from and it, it's been really cool over the past couple of weeks because I've found a lot of interesting people through YouTube and Twitch that like take that teacher persona on that are like really big producers or whatever it may be um but I also have started to notice the same thing happening in some of the software that's being produced um, for like music production. Because like I've talked about on the show, ever since COVID's happened, I've really kind of honed in on you know focusing on that in my free time. And you know I have to give a shout out to some of Apple's products because I mean we all know they make a, a fair amount of great and usable products, but like their their Logic Pro Studio stuff is really taking a step up in terms of allowing people like myself, who don't have a whole lot of experience inside of like a, a DAW or a digital audio workstation and being able to create stuff right away and learn what all the tools do and how all the mixing boards work and how to load in and teach you how to use, you know, VSTs or virtual instruments and stuff like that. So it's been a really cool couple of weeks just, you know, being excited that there's so much that you can learn, like thanks to the internet, but also thanks to great design and good, you know, human factors work as well as user experience design work that goes into the, some of the software that allows kind of that problem that you always have when you develop a really complex piece of software is how do you make sure that people can use it that are very good at it? So like professionals, so it has all kind of the complex widgets that you would want to, you would expect, but also how can I, I, beginner pick up something and learn it and become more advanced over time so yes yes and that's that's kind of always been a fun you know challenge when you think about designing or creating anything software related from a human factors perspective uh, because you like trying to support those two can be so hard to do uh, but companies like Apple and even Ableton as well have like produced a lot of great built-in you know, software capabilities that allow and cater to both parties. So it's it's been a cool week, man. What's What's been going on with you? Hi, Future Nick here. I lost my audio earlier on, but at this point I was asking Blake about a gatekeeping and kind of what he was experiencing, and then I kind of described it as people saying you can't actually do this. So anyway, I asked him about that and uh, if he's encountered any of that. Ready? Blake, go. No, more so what you, what you used to encounter probably like still five years ago, definitely, was so I've always been up been interested and in, into making hip hop beats and trying to and most people will be really guarded about the the like the instruments they use how they like arrange content what kind of filters they're putting on sounds any of that kind of stuff yeah but no longer really like like some of the most popular plugins they're allowed that kind of allow you to create certain sounds or effects or how to like create some of the you know hi-hat effects that you hear from people like murder beats or kenny beats like they will show you how to do that stuff so that you can translate into your own kinds of your own kind and style of music um so but there there's definitely was a long period of time where even when i did like like local demos where people that were recording you wouldn't let you in like the mixing session because they didn't want you to like be gleaning secrets for how they were mixing your demo. Uh, so it's, it's just like, it's, I guess it's kind of like a, an interesting experience over time as I've like had a, like from all the way from high school till now dealing with different kind of music production levels of music production. That's awesome. Uh, I, I think I may have accidentally stopped recording. So so we'll see. We'll see when I go back and listen to this. <laughs> there might be inter... Uh, what, what is it? Uh, 
audio inserted. There might be audio inserted of me asking that question again. But anyway, uh, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully people will pick up. Anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, so, okay, that's cool. I, I'm glad that all that information is getting out there, and it's kind of like open sourcing music. I like it. Yeah, it really is. It's like uh, it's you know allowing everybody to be able to create the things, but it's it's not going to stop people from being unique, right? So that's that's kind of the added benefit of it. Right. So uh, you want to see what I've been working on. So I think I think two weeks ago I said the 3D printer was great. I'm printing out all these projects and I have no room on my desk for other projects. I had like four at the time. Um, I finished one of them. And What'd you finish? I, so I finished the car extension outlet thing where I basically built it into my car, um, which was cool. Uh, and it was very rewarding and satisfying. I did post it on the Slack if you want to go check it out. It's basically a way to cable manage and um, ensure that my uh, car outlet extender um, doesn't like push off of the top when it's stuck to it. It kind of has a backing now, so it doesn't push uh, off of the thing and into that little enclave. So go check that out. The next project I decided to do was something a little bit more ambitious. And Blake, I'm going to show you this little number here. Oh, what? You 3D printed this guy? I 3D printed this guy. So, Oh, my goodness. So, so I'm, I don't know the proper name for this particular Star Wars droid. Right. I'm sure so, <laughs> you, you'll inform everybody. Yeah. So um, what I have here in my hand is an ID-10 Seeker droid. Uh, this was first seen in, um, I think it was Battlefront 2, uh, the 2017 video game from Star Wars uh, and EA. They came out with this. And... Um, it's a little it's a it's like a miniature probe droid if you've ever seen the empire strikes back it's like that but smaller it's like it's like pocket size almost um it's actually not pocket sized it's the size of both of my hands i'm holding it like a hamburger but it's much bigger than that um and so uh you know it's also in the animated show rebels but this is a life-size droid um and that's very cool to me and uh you know there's a bunch of groups on facebook that like actually print out life-size droids like you can build a full r2d2 from 3d printed parts so i printed this out yeah you can dude that's so wild Um, and i might do that when i have a little bit more space but living in an apartment right now is not ideal for that type of thing so i wanted to pick something small that would test my skills and it certainly did um you know this comes in uh quite a few parts i think there's like 30 different parts but um you know i've i've basically uh, blake you can see this but i've smoothed down the surface so you can not see the print lines anymore and i did that by a combination of bondo and filler primer um and i've also got a couple little doodads that i still need to add to it i need to paint it i got paint coming it's going to be a gloss black um so maybe next next week i can have some pictures to show you I also want to add some real hardware to these joints here to make them a little bit more durable. Right now, they're just little plastic pegs. Um, and as you can see, one of them actually fell off while I was talking to you. So I want to do that. There's a couple upgrades I want to make. Um, this top actually is not connected right now. It, um, there's there's two parts. It's like a saucer. Uh, and the top saucer uh, comes off. Um, and I'm gonna put oh, electronics yeah. in it. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it so that there's a little motor that that actually rotates the base where you can you know the the legs can move. Um, so if it's sitting stationary on on a counter or something, the head would move from side to side. I'm also gonna put a red LED in the in the eye, uh, and some white LEDs in the other um, I guess eyes slash lenses. Uh, and an interesting 
bit is that, you know, when, when you look at the front of this, it's separated in half, right? So you can see the line across the central eye. Uh, yeah. And I don't like that. Um, so I don't know if I can find them, but, well, here's one piece. So uh, what I've done is I've actually 3D modeled my own parts. So they go over the front like so to hide the seams. So eventually I'll glue them in. I'm going to make these two uh, halves basically connect with um, super strong rare earth magnets. Uh, so that way, you know, they hold together, but I can always open it up if I need to get into the electronics. So there's still a lot of work to do to this. I'm very proud of where I'm at right now. I didn't think it would be, uh, it, it was very difficult to remove these um, these layer lines, but in a sense that uh, it took me several passes with uh, painting uh, with primer paint and uh, Bondo to get it that way. But once I put on the final finish, it'll be gloss and uh, it'll it'll look pretty good. I'm pretty excited about it. I got to say, I think it looks killer already. So it's going to be super cool when it's like painted and then even finished product with electronics and motors in it. Wow. Yeah, I got to say, I wish I could show you. Actually, I might be able to show you. Um, so I actually accidentally printed out the bottom twice. And, um, you know, I, I did some test fits with uh, a red LED in there, and I tested whether or not I want it forward or backward. Um, and I also did buy a couple lenses, so that way, you know, this doesn't look as cheap. It, it You know, if I actually put a lens over the front eye, it looks a little better um, when it's magnifying the, um, the, the red LED in there. So... I'm I'm oh, very wow. excited about it. I I <laughs> I've been waiting to post pictures to Slack because I wanted to show Blake first. Um, <laughs> Man, it's so cool that you've really come into your own with like the the creating and then you know getting into the electronics and creating stuff from Star Wars. It's really awesome to watch some of this stuff come to life. Yeah, I have a I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I have plans for <laughs> for whenever we get a home. Um, <laughs> to uh, basically create a life-size Star Wars-inspired cockpit that I can play things like Flight Simulator and Star Wars Starfighter games in um, and have it be totally immersive, you know, with, like, the, the seat kickers, the, the seat shakers and the, um, the HOTAS uh, and the yoke and all that stuff just fully built in and uh, with a, like, curved projector in front to make it feel like you're in a cockpit. I have plans. Yes. I, I have plans actually drafted out uh for for that space and uh oh that's so legit man that'll be so cool i can't wait to see that one day someday someday we'll see you'll be you'll be the first to know i'm sure it'll be on an episode <laughs> of human factors cast yes all right well why don't we go ahead and jump into the next part of the show That's right. This is all about Human Factors news. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of Human Factors. This could be anything from, we got some medical in there, I guess, uh, and some privacy concerns and, uh, you know, some AI, I guess, in there. We got a lot of it in there today. It's, it's like all packaged in one little app. You name it. As long as it relates to the field of Human Factors, it's fair game for us to sit here and talk about or ramble about or whatever you want to talk about. Uh, okay, Blake, what do we have up this week? All right, so up this week, we've got researchers at the Dalhousie Universe in Halifax have developed a smartphone app that can keep tabs on people's mental health by measuring their emotions when they talk and when they type on their phones. So the hope is that this will give mental health professionals a way to know how their patients are doing outside of a clinical setting so they can provide more specialized treatment options. So the ProSit app asks users to record a 90-second audio message about the most exciting thing that happened to them recently. 
And there's also built-in sensors on people's smartphones already that can help track how well people are sleeping, how much physical activity they're getting, and even what social interactions they may be having. So the app in total collects over 15 types of information, including how well a person's sleeping, the physical activity, that social connection they're getting. And it does this by keeping track of the number of calls people make. And the application also checks in to see what kind of music you may be listening to as well. Based off of all that information, the app is able to glean information about a user's mental well-being by tracking how they type, things they're listening to, inputs they're having in their life. And st but still, there are some things that the app can't pick up on all by itself. So the app can't predict mental health crises at the very moment they're going to happen, but the, treat but the team behind the application is trying to get there. So the next step is finding a way for the app to communicate treatment options or suggestions from mental health professionals to use. And that's actually the ultimate goal of the application is, of course, not to replace your healthcare provider or your physician, uh, but actually just complement them in the case of mental health. So Nick, this is, I'm really stoked that you found this and picked this article because this is just an interesting take on, you know, gathering a bunch of data about somebody and then using it to draw insights about what's going on in their life. And in this case, using some pretty interesting markers to determine how well somebody's doing from a mental health perspective. Yeah, and and uh yeah, I thought this was very interesting and and I thought it was so interesting in fact that I actually reached out to the researchers themselves to ask them if there was an Android app available. Because uh, if you go to their website and, and try to look at the Android app, it gives you instructions for how to install it once you've downloaded it, but it doesn't quite give you that download link. Uh, so I did reach out to them uh, yesterday. I haven't heard back from them yet. Uh, hopefully they'll get it back to me soon. Maybe I can follow up next week. Uh, but this, this I thought was uh, an interesting article for a couple reasons. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind was wow, people are going to have a problem with privacy. Yeah. Isn't that weird that we're colored with that way of thinking? Because that's the first thing I thought of. Like, there, there's great, uh, there's a great thing being done here, but in reality, the first place my head went was, this is kind of scary. There's a privacy issue here. Yeah. And so I I, I guess, like, the the funny thing to me was I, I, I saw the headline and I was like, eh, what about privacy? And then I click on the link and started reading through it. And about what I guess, like uh, in the in the very last section, there's a there's a there's a section called "What about privacy?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, it's got a pretty compelling you know bunch of statements about it, and there is this going back and forth between because this this article is laid out pretty cool because it's it's basically in some ways a, a little bit of a you know, a narrative about the application, but then there's in this what it what about privacy section, it's very much kind of like almost a conversation. It's an interview uh, almost, between yeah. a few people, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, so th so they did mention that their, their app took privacy, security, safety into consideration as a major design objective. So they're building that into the design, which is always good, right? Um, and they built that in from the beginning. Um, you know, they, they mentioned that the data is encrypted and stored in a secure location. Um and basically that everyone who uh, participated in the study uh, signed that consent form to make sure that they knew that that was um, something that they would collect on. Right. So, yeah. and, and then, you know, it's like there, there's also other things. It's like exactly what's being collected on some of these parameters. You know, like w when you think about SMS messages, they're not actually looking at what you're saying. They're just tracking, you know, who, 
and how much. Um, and so there are other things like that that, I mean, you can still you can still derive a lot of information about somebody. But, I mean, I guess the, the most important thing, I guess, to me in an app like this is that you're not selling my data to potential, um, you know, uh, people who want to advertise towards me. That's, I think, the biggest uh, like concern, like for, from me, from my perspective, that, that would be my biggest concern is don't collect data that you can advertise on me from because I already got enough of that. Yeah. And I think, I think the fact that this is coming out of a university, like the, and then they're doing research on top of it, there is like a very huge amount of strict, strict ethical guidelines you'd have to adhere to just to even be able to conduct the research. And it's cool that they are doing like sticking to like thinking about people's privacy and making sure to encrypt the data. Cause I, I could almost guarantee that if this was through a, you know, a non-university project, you may not have that same level of right. like strict adherence or consideration. And I'm, it's, to, I mean, it, it's striking to just like, think about what if Google or Facebook or Microsoft released an app like this, it would not be the same. Well, it, it, it wouldn't. And I don't think in today's climate, you could even trust it. It would, no. it, it would be really hard for, I think a lot of people to adopt it at face value. I mean, especially if Facebook made it. It's just there. There'd be that. Just is a complete non-starter. I think for at least myself, but I would imagine for a lot of people, um, in in terms of like how safe is your data from it being used or collected or used in ways that you didn't expect it to be. The biggest thing that I would be concerned about here, and I, I who, the researcher that's interviewing um, the app developer, kind of makes a really great point. Is like this type of technology is only going to keep coming, and they're they're from my perspective, this is an awesome way to use your phone. Like it's capturing stuff that you're just based off of your own behavior, and if this yeah. can kind of give you a lot of great insights or your physician insights into like how you might be doing based off of treatments you're you're getting, whether it's medication or specific, you know, other kind of holistic treatments, whatever. That's great, and I think it's an awesome way to collect and use data and like really harness the power of all these data analytics we can have. But the point that the the research chair for information and law policy at University of Ottawa, I think, makes is that it's it's not just like worrying about the security of the applications, but it's worrying about like kind of the hacking aspect too. So and then trying to put like legal frameworks around this stuff right. that keeps people keeps people's data safe, especially when you're talking about something that's medical related. Um, but I'm personally more concerned about like not so much people leveraging it against you or leveraging it in ways to like sell stuff to you. I'm more concerned about like the architecture being in place so that it's not like hacked and stolen and used in some other way. Uh, that's uh, fair. That, that that tends to be like really where a lot of our problems lie right now is just where we have all these awesome ways to gather information and store it but in terms of like having really good cybersecurity practices across like apps or even websites or big servers it's not they're not it's not great yeah i want to i want to get back to the app because i think we've we've kind of aired our concerns with it i do want to talk about the good it's doing right so it's it's collecting all this different information on you um you know, and you mentioned it in the blurb, but like they're looking at sleeping, physical activity, social connection, um, number of calls, applications that you're using, what you're listening to, uh, type of music, you know. Um, and so uh, the, the interesting thing to me is that they're, they're also 
looking at the way that you're typing um, and and the way that they're drawing these connections, right? When they, they say when people are emotional, when you're angry, you want to send an emotional text. Not only the speed of your typing changes, but also the force you apply on your keyboard to type also changes. Um, and, and so like being able to draw those insights and apply those insights combined with a, 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 a profile of other data on a person um, to help not diagnose, but understand what type of mental state someone is in at any given time. That's awesome. I would love, you know what? I would love that. And and I think this is the precursor to the next step of, oh shit, this person's feeling depressed right now. What can I do proactively to help relieve this stress or this depression? Like, is there anything, like play your favorite song just through your home automation stuff, you know, like, is, is that something that would help or hurt in this situation? Well, you can have that feedback loop. The computer would try things, and depending on your reaction, which it's collecting data on, it's literally a feedback loop, and that's the next step. And I'm very excited for that stage where it can start, like maybe you just need a message of affirmation, you know, like, hey, you did a great job with whatever you did today. Um, you know, I, like, or maybe it sends a text to somebody that you know and says, hey, this person is... Um, they could use a hug, you know, like maybe it sends one to your significant other and it's like they could use a hug right now. And, you know, it, again, measures whether that that's effective. And so it's and I'm sure there's a million other different ways in which you can start to think about how this type of technology can help mental health just in the long run. And it makes me very excited. Right. Like they, they even say here, like they can actually find out whether someone's anxious or depressed. Um, so you don't have to understand any of the context. You can just listen to people and actually get their emotional state from the way that they talk. Um, and so it's like, that's so cool to me, man. Like just imagine a future where you get everything tailored to you based on your needs to make sure that your mental health is okay. It would be so crazy. Cause I mean, it could, like you said, the power of it, just suggesting things based off of what it's tracking, like you should text your mom or you should maybe try doing a workout because it doesn't seem like you're feeling that great or whatever it may be or i don't know you should go for a walk just based off of all those all the things it's collecting but i think what's really ingenious of what they're doing here is the fact that they're they're having like this active set of metrics they're collecting so if they if it's asking the person to actually record a 90 second clip so it can analyze their voice based off of the content they're talking about Awesome. So that's active collection, but it's got all this passive stuff that's going on that can't be colored by your experience. Like you're, you're not necessarily thinking about like, um, I don't know, this is a horrible example, but like a family member passes away and how that affects the way that you're typing your text messages and what, what that could mean about your state or your mood or whatever's going on with you or the amount of text that you're sending or phone calls you're making or music you're listening to, what, how that might be coloring your, your, or tell people about your mental attitude. So it, it's really cool that they've mixed both like passive aspects of something that we we're using all the time anyway, with really active aspects of measurement as well. Um, and it, it's it still blows my mind that you can pick up so much just from like audio recordings. It's just that just blows my mind. Yeah, and I'm uh, yeah. I mean, that's another issue with privacy, right? Like, what what if they instead of the passive versus active, what if it was all passive and they started listening to you talk just 
at at regular samples, right? And I think they might even actually do that now. But um, yeah, I was about to say I think they do that, and then it it wouldn't su- or wouldn't surprise me if that's kind of how the the mode that it worked in anyway. Right, where it just p- kind of picks up and samples. Um, yeah, I, I'm really excited about this type of uh, future, right? Like, and and uh, this, I mean, this is a little bit getting into politics here, but imagine if something like this was made available to everyone, and um, imagine what it could do for a population uh, if if this was made available, right? Like, if everyone had access to this, and it's a tailored uh, response to how you're feeling. And if every like thinking about not only just like a like a country level, but but let's come down a level, right? Like let's come down to the workplace. What if you use this in the workplace, and you know the, it, it starts monitoring the way that you're talking to your coworkers, and it's like, oh shit! Well, it can then trace back to what happened, and maybe you can like like let's say uh, there was conflict with somebody um, on the team, and you could trace it back to that. And then, like, you know, it, it might passively suggest to the instigator that, you know, they go about things in a different way. Or it, it reaches out to a supervisor and says, hey, how's everything going? You know, maybe maybe a check-in. Um, and so there's, there's so many things that you could do, and this is really exciting to me, um, because it works on every level. It works on a personal level. If you're just around your house, it works at, a, like, a workplace level. It works in a community level because then you're building that connection with, like, like let's say I am sitting on my couch and I just, like, it, it tunes in and it hears me tell my partner, like, man, I just really don't want a podcast tonight. Maybe it texts you and says, hey, man, Nick's not feeling the podcast tonight. Maybe, maybe you just text him and say, I'm really excited about the podcast tonight. Looking forward to like chatting with you. And then maybe that changes my mind. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you know what? I, it's really the only time I get to hang out with Blake. So yeah, I'm let's do it. Um, and, uh, so, so I mean, you know, it works on the community level, right. And it could work at the, the national level. If you have a, if you have a nation that, that needs better mental health, uh, taken care of, and there's like these solutions being supplied at every level, then we're, going to be a better society because of it like i just i maybe i'm thinking too big here and maybe this is all a pipe dream but man i really like this is the future that i kind of hope for uh technology being used for good i i can now don't get me wrong i can also see this going completely the opposite way they sell this technology to a company you have to pay to use it um and you know you have to pay to integrate it with your workforce and only those who have money can afford it and then uh it becomes a class war again so it's like um, yeah, I mean it's it's hard, right? Because where do you where do you draw that line? Um, that I don't know. It's that's a tough one. I I just love the aspect of it being able to improve potentially mental health practices. That like fr- just being a practitioner and having a bunch of patients, because maybe you know a little bit more about the people you're talking to or the people you're prescribing you know, different therapies for, cause I, I could only imagine right now having to do a lot of like, maybe you're not doing as many in-person meetings as you used to. So you're doing a lot of stuff virtually. So you're not able to see maybe all the, the visual cues that you would get of like somebody's leg shaking or them fidgeting and things like that. So you're almost able to have a, a second set of metrics and things to really be understanding like is, is really what I'm doing, helping the person that I'm, you know, supposed to be helping. Uh, right. So it's, I think it's a great tool for so many aspects, um, from the 
the person to practitioner to to the the workforce thing is a really interesting application um and it would be great if something like this stayed in kind of the university realm so that it could be you know become very much available to everyone and not just like stuck behind some paywall yeah i agree um i'm getting way too excited about this so we need to come down and take a quick break and we'll be back to uh talk about reddit stuff right after this human factors cast strives to bring you the best in human factors chatter every week we pack news interviews reviews and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on but we can't do it without you You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc., we're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. All right, and we're back. Before we continue, I just want to thank our friends over at Coronavirus Brief. They were the ones that broke this news story here about uh, the Prozit app, uh, and it actually kind of came about because of the, uh, the COVID situation, too. Um, if you want to follow along with the stories as we find them, uh, we do post those all over social media, or you can join us on Slack for links to the original articles. Um, before we, you know, Blake, I feel really bad because I didn't give you an opportunity to say, do you have any closing thoughts on that last story before I went to break? Oh, I kind of interjected them anyway. It's all good. Okay. All right. I'm just checking. (laughs) I just, I, I'm, I'm checking in on you because your phone actually just sent me a message that said, hey, Blake feels bad about you cutting him off and going straight to break. <laughs> do you have He's the app installed? Because I, I could have swore. I do. Like, oh, wow. I okay. do. They have it for the iPhone already. <laughs> okay. So it's just Android. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and switch gears here and get to... It came from... It came from... That's right. It came from Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you topics the community is talking about. It's not just Reddit. It could be anywhere, though. You know, if you want to write us an email. We look at all those emails that you send us. Every single one that comes through our inbox, we read. We might not read it on the show, but we read them. So send them there, Yeah, too. we do. <laughs> okay, we have we have three Reddits to talk about this week if we want to get to them all. Um, Blake, I, I want to let this one up to you. Which one do you want to talk about first? You can kind of see the names there with the... Yeah, so I actually want to talk. Uh, which one was this? It's the I failed an interview title. All right, let's go ahead and talk about this one. So this one is I've failed an interview. Uh, this is posted uh, by uh, user love L followed by six V's. Uh, and this is from the user experience subreddit. They go, I just want to vent that I came from an interview with four designers. It was very intense, and I feel I was not able to be myself. I tried to sell myself and thus failed. Sorry, I just had to share it with someone. Blake, why did you want to talk about this one first? Honestly, man, I think this is probably something, because this this is also on Reddit itself. It's tagged as a junior question. And I know that this happens to a lot of people that I work with through Design Lab. Like, they'll have really intense interviews and they'll go through, 
you know, a phone screening and then a video call and then they'll be interacting with a with the actual design team and it gets really, really overwhelming, uh, especially for somebody that's a junior person. And I've I've had this same kind of conversation with students of them saying, like, I just didn't know what to do. And I felt like I was more so trying to sell them on the fact that I could that I was a UX designer and sell them on my abilities versus just kind of being myself and talking about the things I know how to do. Uh, And I I don't know. It's it's one of those times where it's it's hard to know what the right thing to do is. And it's one of those where I feel like you have to be in the room and you have to read the room. Uh, but it's the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I think it's okay to fail interviews because I, I don't really see it as a failure. It's just an experience for you to walk away with. Yeah, you might feel shitty and it doesn't feel good to be rejected by any means. I mean, but it, at the same time, don't let it be this big looming thing that sits in the back of your head, like a little like demon in your head saying like, oh man, it just wasn't good enough for this one interview. Like see try and reach out to the people if you like if you feel like you got rejected and say like what could i have done better and ask for feedback and you know what good companies they will give you realistic feedback if you don't hear back from somebody i mean that's it's probably a place maybe you didn't really need to end up anyway because uh, if you're if they're going to put you through the ringer they should be able to give you some feedback back uh yeah, with, but hang this on, was, really quick with that it also puts you back on their radar too it's like you it know, does you know it, if you wait like a week, it puts them puts you back on the radar. And let's say that other person that they offer the job to declines. Well, maybe you're number two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, that so that happened to me in grad school, believe it or not. Um, so I got rejected from Cal State Long Beach. Uh, I was bummed out, didn't know what I was going to do, and I actually reached out to the admissions office, uh, which was ended up being the psychology office. And then I reached out to a couple of the professors. Uh, just to like keep my name in their heads, um, and same thing happened. Somebody dropped out. I was the first one up. Um, so it's it's one of those things you can put you can put yourself back in your back in the seat, even though you might have been rejected the first time. Uh, but the the real part about this that I wanted to bring up, Nick, because I want to get your perspective on like when you when you interview for a place, do you feel like you're selling yourself or you? feel like you want to be just who you are or is it a combination of those two it's a combo of both i like you are selling you are putting on your best self um you know everyone has good days and everyone has bad days you want to show them what you're looking like on a good day um because they know they can expect that type of quality from you on a good day and if it's a good company and if it's a good environment you should be able to operate at a good day most of the time absolutely yeah yeah i don't think it's one or the other for sure i think there's a middle ground like you're, you're selling your skill set and like what you know how to do um but i i don't know but the work that i do has kind of become part of me in how i like how i look at different experiences right. in my everyday life so i mean it it's it is got a lot of my personality in it the work that i end up getting into yeah i agree and i i really like one of these um one of these reddit responses so I, I don't do this very often because I like to just talk about our our opinions on the matter. Um, and maybe I'll do that before I actually read this. Um, I think, you know, failing at an interview is tough. Um, and like like Blake was mentioning, you know, it's part of the it's going to happen. Um, and you walk away and you learn from it. And just that just do exactly that. Learn from it. Like what 
what things could you have done better? Reach out to the company, get get exactly you know the answers that you were looking for, hopefully. Um, but again, I want to read this. So this is by Distant uh, Distant Applause. <laughs> they go, failure is a step towards success. You have many failures in, career, in your career, and each of them are learning opportunities. Next time you'll be more prepared for that kind of environment and do better until you really nail it. You shouldn't worry about being the stereotypical, confident, outgoing, perfect candidate in the interview. Feel free to find a version of selling yourself that feels authentic to you. That could mean acknowledging your weaknesses in an honest way and talking about them in the context of your strengths. Uh, so I really, I just really love that answer. Uh, wanted to echo that. Like that's that's how I feel as well. Um, you know, stick with it. Um, you learn from these experiences and think of them as almost practice interviews. And if you really want to get strategic about it, maybe organize interviews with with companies that you're maybe not so interested in just with, you know, apply everywhere and get those interviews. So that way um, you get that experience with it. And I think that's another good strategy, especially if you're a junior person in any, in any kind of oh, position, yeah. doesn't have to be any of the, anything that we do like design or human factors. I mean, it's just good, good to get the reps in um, and kind of be, that gives you a little bit of a sense of what you can expect and the climate that's out there. Yeah. And so then when you, when you land that big job interview that you really wanted, you're not worried about, you know, Oh, what am I, what am I getting myself into? Yeah. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give the human factors and ergonomic society here a shout out because they do a job fair uh, or a career fair or whatever it's called every year. And what you do is you just drop off your resume. And uh, I mean, it might be a little different this year because of uh, everything going on. It's virtual. But I don't imagine it'll be too different if they can if they actually do this. Um, but then you have representatives from every company there that will interview you on the spot. Uh, so you drop off your resume, they give you a call, organize a time, and that's a great place to get a, uh, that's a great place to get an interview because uh, you know I got my first real real job out of college by going through one of those. Um, you know, and and uh, I think with that, you know, you're in an environment right where you're already putting on your best self. It's a professional conference. You're trying to uh, make connections with others. You're already networking. And then to have the ability to just interview with a bunch of different companies um, and, you know, rapid fire, you you have an experience interviewing and then you figure out what did or did not work in that interview. And then you can adjust it like almost on the fly when the next person calls you for an interview. It's kind of amazing and it's kind of a great opportunity. So if you're thinking about doing that, I don't know how it's going to happen this year with everything being virtual, but definitely check that resource out. I think that's a great resource um, or at least a great strategy to, to actually practice the interview stuff. Yeah. I mean, you could even walk into each interview with a different tactic that you yeah. wanted to try. Uh, if you really want to get strategic about it. So that that's awesome advice, Nick. And I, I hope there are a lot of opportunities for that kind of stuff in virtual settings. And hopefully we'll see one from HFES this year. Yeah, I hope so. All right, Blake, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say we have one more. So so choose carefully. I, I'm, uh, I'm leaning towards a specific one. But I'm let's gonna... go. Let's do it. I picked the first one. All right, let's let's we're going to do number three here. So this one is uh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to modify this because this was on the user experience subreddit, but I'm going to modify it for human factors. Uh, this is by user Locarian. Uh, I am a, I'm going to modify it again, human factors re freelancer. Uh, did I ask this client for too much money? 
Hi, everyone. I'm a freelance user researcher and user writer or human factors practitioner. I was strictly a writer. I charged $40 an hour for contract gigs. Then I moved up to $45 an hour. These were for contract roles that were for 30 plus hours of work. Company I'm currently contracted with has me at a rate of 45 an hour. The headquarters in Europe reached out with a gig. A one-week gig, three days. I quoted $65 an hour. I guess I'm nervous because I've never quoted that high before and I don't want to ruin the client relationship. I've been a professional writer since 2016 and transitioned to UX in late 2018. In the past few years, I've been the lead UX writer on campaigns for large banks, tech companies, electric car companies, and more. The agency who requested me is doing a project for a Fortune 500 electronics company. So my point here not necessarily is about the numbers, um, but I want to talk about you're evaluating your own worth. Blake, go. Uh, I'm going to say that you didn't charge too much because it's it seems like you, you've got experience and you have to value your capabilities and the work that you do and the effort that you put in. And that, that is something you have to learn over time to really don't sell yourself short. Um, so, we, I, I mean, I don't think that they're, they're – of course, like let's say there there's definitely a time where you can overcharge somebody, but – Again, that's also on the company's behalf to say, no, we can't pay that or, you know, negotiate with you. So it, I don't know. It sounds like to me that you really did, you did the right thing. I mean, I would have gone up as, as far as I thought made sense based on, you know, the product that was coming in. And when you're a freelancer, you kind of have to, you know, you have to think about the time and effort and the type of project that it is. And I, I don't know how it works with UX writing, um, but I do know how it works from everything from just creating designs or doing UX upfront research to actually building something fully fledged, like through front end development. And there's a way different cost ratio depending on what I have to do. So, yeah, but I do think it is very hard for people especially anybody who started off doing a lot of free work to get into like the freelance role and to find clients, get your name out there and like really build a reputation for yourself to figure out what, you know, what is my market value. Uh, but definitely, I don't know, finding it is hard, but you definitely want to believe in yourself and, you know, charge what your time is definitely worth. Yeah. And I mean, like, obviously a lot of, a lot of stuff goes into this and, and I'm going to try to keep it short one, understand what your time is worth to you. Um, and, you know, be fair about it. But, like, if if you feel that 65 an hour was appropriate for that situation, charge 65 an hour. If you feel like it was $180 an hour, like like Blake said, they will, they will come back and say, mm, we can't do it. And it's not going to ruin a relationship. You are offering them a quote for your services. It's not necessarily a, um, you know, no one's going to get offended over this. Like, it's it's a negotiation period. Um, it's like, you know what you're worth. If they don't want to pay that, then I'm really sorry. I would love to work with you someday, but I just can't take it for anything less than this. Um, and so it's it's a matter of knowing what you're worth and also being willing to let things go when people don't, pay you what you think you're worth and i just want to leave it at that like it's always difficult but that's where i'm at absolutely yeah the only the only other thing i would throw in there is they usually companies and even individuals they're more understanding when they see high quotes because you're a freelancer 
which means you're not getting any benefits unless you're paying for them yourself. So high rates, they do make sense. It's it's kind of different than if you had like an in-house, you know, just hourly job. Um, so I don't know. I wouldn't be too worried about yeah, it. It'd be, it's, it's too bad we don't know this person. We can't figure out what happens at the end of this. Yeah. Uh, I, I would feel like it would be good for them to know. That, that's a great uh, that's a great point, Blake. Um, All right. Well, I uh, I think that's going to be it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news stories this week. You can find uh, you can join us on our Slack or follow us all over our social channels at H Factors Podcast. If you want to write in, you can do that. Uh, email us at show at humanfactorscast.com. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, you can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice. I'll give you a couple others. You can go visit our merch store. You can support us and look good doing it. Or you can always support us on Patreon. Again, we're always excited about Human Factors Minute. Check that out. Or go in at the $10 level. Get your free tote bag. Help support us there. Uh, we have a couple other benefits at the $10. not just a tote bag. Come on. <laughs> it's just the tote bag. And, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnsdorf for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to figure out how to download the iOS version of the Prozit app? If you guys are looking for the Prozid app on the iOS version, please let me know where you find it. But you can always find me in the Human Factors Cast Slack at Blake and across social media at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. It depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense. 